everybody, welcome to Drive Through View 577. Today we're going to take a look at Warhammer Quest Shadow Over Hammer Hall. Now this is kind of the follow-up to last year's Warhammer Quest Silver Tower. Now this is not so much of an expansion or even a standalone expansion as kind of a companion game. Now the original Silver Tower uh, was a co-op game, pure co-op. Uh, this one has a lot of the same mechanics, uh, the way you activate your heroes and all that kind of stuff and the way the bad guys kind of work uh, is a lot of it is the same, uh, but this is not a co-op, it's a dungeon master or game master driven game uh, where you need one player to kind of go through kind of the narrative, uh, guide all of the bad guys and kind of actually guide all the characters and the players through a story uh, that is a lot more structured and uh, not necessarily linear of a narrative, but it is a little bit more linear. It's not randomly generated everything. Uh, so it's you can use pieces from Silver Tower in this game and actually vice versa, uh, but you don't really need one or the other to play uh, the other. So let's jump into and take a look at a lot of the differences. And I think a lot of it is actually gonna kind of inform Silver Tower players in a way. We'll talk more about that in the review, but let's jump in and take a look at this. And then I'll talk more about all this in the review portion. Okay, here's just about everything that you can get in the game. You can see you've got some different decks of cards, some different manuals, some tiles and things. I do have some of my other figures here from Silver Tower that I've uh, just put in the box for now. Uh, so you don't get quite all of these and I have painted some of these, but these figures here actually do come uh, with this game. So this is a Blood Reaver here. You can see an example. Now this is one I already had uh, that I've had a chance to paint up, but you can see kind of a good example of what they look like when they're finished uh, there. Here's another Blood Reaver as well. Uh, and then they also come here with these uh, Carrick Acolytes. Now this is one of the newer models that they have. I haven't got around to painting this fella yet, but you can see they got typical, you know, Games Workshop quality and level of detail. <laughs> I apologize for the paint job on these. This is one of the first things I ever painted in my life. Uh, but here's kind of an idea of what it looks like painted up there, but just not as terrible. Okay. Uh, and then you've got also new tiles. So it, the setting is very different. It's in this sort of giant city that's kind of between realms. And so the good guys, the order has sort of recolonized uh, the different realms after this big, bad, chaotic apocalypse. And the city's kind of like teetering on the brink in between. And so the theme of it is that these characters from these different guilds uh, that belong to kind of the different factions in the cities, here's the main storm cast here, the Castellant. Uh, he has, uh, in, the, in the story, he gives you a good story here in the book, but there's basically been some crimes and thefts and people have been killed and stuff. And so he gets together uh, with this guy here who is, he's just been primed there, but uh, this is a dwarven guy here, Cogsmith. And then there's this kind of pirate fella here that's going to join you. And then finally a lore master, kind of your mage guy here. Uh, so these four characters are going to join together and you're always going to play the game uh, with those four characters, or you can use other heroes and things from silver tower, or of course the other different hero cards that they've released for random different heroes in the universe. You could use that, but you always want to have uh, four of those. And the first thing you're doing is you're tracking down your companion here and you won't actually uh, make use of him in the game until a little ways down the story. Uh, but he's basically on the trail. He sniffed out uh, where the main bad dude here, uh, this red sorcerer here, has, you know, he's kind of behind everything. So you track him down now to this big dungeon. 
and this is one of the things I'll spoil a little bit of the review here. This is one of the things I really love about the game is it's not so much like you play through different scenarios. It's there's basically like eight levels to this giant dungeon, and as you explore it, you'll find different entry points and things. And it gives the dungeon master here. Let's see this thing, which I don't want to show too much of, but there's this little roster thing here. And so you can just basically photocopy that and then keep track of where the party has been, which rooms they've searched and so on. So it's just really more of an open-ended kind of campaign vibe. Uh, let's just take a look at some of the tiles here. Uh, so a lot of people, I'm not one of them, but a lot of them complained about the tiles for Silver Tower because they were very funky and zinchy and stuff. I think the folks that did complain will be more at home with this. Uh, these are a little bit more, I guess you'd call traditional, but they're not dull by any means. They've got nice detail on them and all that kind of stuff. And you've got you know a variety of different rooms. You can see here the little red line there, so that's kind of an obstacle. Uh, these look really nice once you start to explore. Uh, the turn is going to be very, very similar. It's going to show you some of the uh, hero cards which you're familiar with from Silver Tower. Uh, you've got the move, the amount of squares you can move. Uh, this is the amount that you'll need to roll on a save if you take a wound. Uh, if you need to make an agility test of some kind, sometimes you get pinned by an enemy, you've got to make that roll. And then you've got different weapon abilities here. And you've got slots for your four dice. So you're always going to roll your four dice to start the turn. And then you're going to be able to take actions on that. And that's similar to Silver Tower. I'll go over that a little bit more detail in a second. But you've also got here kind of the Destiny board as well. And this is also similar to Silver Tower. Now, everybody's taking their turn, as well as the adversary player. You're going to roll the five dice there. And then any dice that you have that are the same, like these two ones are the same, they're going to come out. And you're going to have access to this pool of dice that all the players can use on their turn. Maybe they didn't roll so hot or they really needed like a six or something to activate their big special ability. I could say, okay, I'm going to use the six and take one of the, my special abilities or my attacks on my card. And then you always, when you do that though, you have to lock the next highest die that's available. So you, there's a limited supply, even though everybody shares them. So now we've only got the two left. So somebody could use that maybe to search or move or something like that. Now this will also cause uh, unexpected events. So at the beginning of the round, if you roll this and none of these are removed, so let's see, you got one, two, three, four, five, for example, there's the three, there it is. And so none of these are gonna get removed because we've got no dupes. So that's gonna cause an unexpected event. And that's gonna change based on kind of how far down the dungeon you are. And then the DM is gonna be able to then uh, roll off on the table and you're gonna see what kind of expected event, maybe an ambush, maybe kind of special thematic thing, sometimes maybe a good thing. Uh, the other thing that will trigger an unexpected event is if you remove all of these. So let's say we paired these off and these three were all the same and you didn't get any Destiny dice this round because they're all matched at least one other die, that will also trigger an unexpected event. And this is also your Renown Tracker. So as you uh, do killing blows to different monsters, your Renown is going to go up. Each player will get a little token here. And then each player has a special thing here at the bottom. In addition to their special abilities and their traits, you've also got this, and this is the castle on here, and he says, if you stun three or more adversaries with the warding lantern, and that's the lantern there, that's the ability they can do, then you gain a renown. So there's everybody's gonna have like a special thing in addition to killing that's gonna cause you to gain renown. Now every time you make a full trip around this board, just like Silver Tower, you're gonna be able to then you draw two skill cards and then you keep one, and then these will stay with you. This is kind of like you're leveling up. Uh, but in this game, there's actually uh, levels. So 
during the course of going through the campaign, there's going to be these achievements here. And the campaign book will tell you when to do that. And so we'll just flip the first one up here. And it says, the heroes all gain one level of experience. So everybody starts at level one. And what that means is you can keep one skill card at any time. So if I go around the board here, I draw two. Maybe I want to keep this one here, this disarming strike. I go around again, I'll draw two more, and then I can keep one of these, but I have to replace this one if I want to keep them until you level up. So until you get this first achievement here, which gives you basically a level, then you can only have one, and then after this everybody can have two, and then so on. So you can start to keep more of these as time goes by. There's also treasure cards here, and these are going to be got in a variety of different ways. Uh, there'll be specific cards that you'll go tell you to fish out based on very specific things that will happen in the campaign. Uh, you'll be able to kind of get them randomly. You'll be able to go back to town, which I haven't mentioned, in between. Uh, you, you kind of like can take a breath, because I said, you know, it's a big, huge dungeon. Uh, you can take a breath there. And then maybe you can go, you know, do variety kind of in-town types of things to get extra treasures here. And then there's also uh, very specific artifacts that you can get as part of the campaign. And finally, uh, when you're in town, you can get these kind of special effects from the Red Eagle here. And these will give you kind of little bonuses that you can do. I just want to quickly go through some of the printed material you get here. This Guild of Getting Starting uh, page here is very handy because it just gives you a real basic way to say, okay, here's all the stuff you can do in your turn. If you're trying to teach people to play, maybe you're the DM. Uh, this is very quick and easy. Everybody's like, okay, I got the hang of this. It's super easy. If you played Silver Tower, you don't even need to read that. Uh, the next thing we'll look at here, we've got the assembly guide. Uh, this is pretty nice. It's just all full color. It tells you very uh, easily how to put all this stuff together. And all this stuff does go together very well. And then you've got here the main kind of guidebook. And this is the rules for the game. But there's a pretty involved story here. I kind of gave you the quick summary of it. Uh, but this is kind of nice. It, it does give the setting uh, a lot of flavor and everything. So it's it's a pretty good little read there. And it gives you little maps of the towns. And there's a nice big map there as well. Uh, and then it gives you kind of the basic rules and all this kind of stuff inside here. How the turns are going to work and everything like that. And then it gives you some painting guides here in the back, which are pretty useful. Uh, and then... We're going to take a look finally at this one. Uh, you can see these are uh, exotic adversaries here. So this is some of the stuff I printed out from uh, Silver Tower. So these are extra units and things that you can add uh, into uh, this game. Uh, so you can you know you can kind of spice up the different monsters and stuff. Now this one I want to be a little bit careful about showing you too much of it because certain things will happen in certain ways. And so there'll be kind of minor spoilers that might be shown here. But I'll be very careful about that. So like I said, you've got here, this is the first dungeon. And so if you're a player, you really shouldn't be looking at this, but you can see you've got different passages and that's what I'm going to show you. Uh, so it's a very specific way uh, that the dungeon itself uh, kind of uh, you know, comes out based on where you're at. And these all link together into, like I said, a giant dungeon, which is very, very interesting. But let's kind of skip ahead, because I'll talk more about how the dungeon unfolds in a minute. Uh, you can visit Cinderfall, which is kind of the main sort of district here in town. You'll have a random occurrence on the table. This, this is going to happen once you leave the dungeon or you get kicked out. Uh, so you're going to roll this, and then you'll be able to choose uh, one of these different activities. You can go do a drinking contest. You can gamble, you can go to the chapel, you can try to heal up certain things that you might have on you. You might get like a plague kind of thing on you or something like that. 
Uh, you can go to pit fighting. Now all of this is going to require gold and you're going to get gold tokens uh, through searching and other means during the campaign and this is where you're going to spend it and this is where you can maybe get some of the other treasures and things like that. Uh, and then they've got also got the stats back here for all the different adversaries and all the stuff that they can do uh, real similar to that kind of template they have uh, for Silver Tower. And then finally like I said there's a chart here which I don't want to show you for the dungeon master to keep track of where you've been. So the very first time you play the game, you're going to start off on this kind of stairwell here. You'll put, again, all four of the different characters here because you always play with all four. So if you have less than four players, somebody will have to kind of take over one as a companion. You'll have a little doorway here. And then this uh, will be told to be set up in different ways based on uh, what kind of level of the dungeon you're in. Uh, and this is sometimes it makes reference to a direction. So you say, oh, what's to the west of that? Uh, it'll make more sense. It's mostly for the DM to worry about. And then on the other side of this, it gives the players a list of the different uh, activities that you can do. So they can say, ah, oh, I'll do the guild of certified thaumaturgists. So you'll flip that over when they leave the dungeon. So that's going to go here. I'm going to randomly put these out because the order that this stuff comes out is, is pretty important. So let's say you take an action now to actually explore and open the portal, open the door, and the dungeon master will then know which tile to get out. It may tell them to set up certain bad guys in certain ways. It may give them a choice. And so let's pretend these four character acolytes are showing up here. And so you might do that. And then you'll have to do some combat with them. But the nice thing is that the dungeon kind of explores itself. You don't have to do a whole lot of setup. In it, like in other games like Descent or Imperial Assault, you just kind of throw all the tiles out and then you start putting them down as you go. And then you kind of make your way through here and then you can interact with these tiles in very different ways based on kind of where you're at, what the scripts are kind of telling you, and whether or not you search and so on. So let's just quickly go over the different actions that you can do. So here we've got the Castellant and maybe it's his turn, he's rolled his four dice. And you can, there's certain things that you can do, you can spend any die to do. So if I wanted to move, I could spend a die and I can move up to that many spaces. If I wanted to open a door, I could spend any die I wanted and open the door. Then you explore it and then you reveal the tile like I showed you. Uh, you can also search. Now if you want to search, there cannot be any of the bad guys on the board there. So let's pretend they're off of there now. The Castellant takes one die, he opens the portal, we see that. And then he does another die to move in, so he moves in three. You can move diagonal and so on. And then you can search. You, you basically spend any die you want. And then you're going to roll the die. And if you get a six, you will successfully find any secret that may or may not be in that tile. Now, as the tiles are put out, the dungeon master will put a little token here like that to show that it hasn't been successfully searched yet. And so if you successfully search, uh, you get that, and the dungeon master will read any secret that is associated with that. You also, no matter what, will get this gold coin, which again, you can spend back in town. Now let's say I roll a six, it's pretty hard to get, right? You roll it, you get a six, okay, good for you. Now, if I fail, I can spend another die, and remember, you can spend the dice over here on the destiny board as well, and this is kind of a good use for that, kind of give you extra searches. And I want to search again, so I'll spend another one of the dice off my board and roll it. Now I only need a five. Huh? We got a six that time, that we, we would have got it. If you do it a third time, then all you need is a four. Now, if somebody else comes in here and searches, maybe the lore master comes in, they move around, they need to search, they need to roll a six. And so it's, it's basically per player per room. So if I move in here and search and fail, and then I move into like another one over here, let's just put that there. And I wanted to search inside here, 
then I would also still need a six. So it kind of, it resets per turn and it kind of resets per room per turn. Uh, so you usually you're gonna spend a couple of dice to have to search and successfully search. But like I said, it, that may trigger some event. It might give you a further clue and move you along in the story, but you're gonna use that search a lot for a lot of different things. Now the last kind of general thing you can do is recuperate and that's kind of heal yourself. Now as you take damage, the way you're gonna mark that is you're gonna put these little wound tokens on here like that. And so if I was like this, and then we go to do my next turn, I'm only gonna to have to be able to roll the two dice there. So I'm not gonna get very many actions. I'm not gonna get a lot of options. But I can spend any die I want to recover that wound. So next turn, I can have more to roll. Now, the first time I do that on a turn, I can spend a one. I can be any die. The next time, if I wanted to do it again, I'd have to do it with a two plus. If I wanted to do it a third time, I'd have to do it with a three plus. And this might be something also that, again, you use the destiny dice to help somebody out who's taken a lot of damage because you can take damage pretty quickly in this game. Uh, the other thing to note is as this fills up, you have a chance of becoming grievously wounded. So once I've got four there, I can still take my turn. Uh, I can just use destiny dice. But if I take another one, my character is going to be knocked out. He's going to come off the board and then these are gonna get wiped out and he's gonna go back on the board only once we clear, again, the, the board of all of the monsters on the board. Uh, so you don't wanna have the whole party get grievously wounded because then you've lost the game and you gotta start over. After we've cleared the board and he comes back on, we're gonna put on here a, this one, a grievously wounded marker here. So this is kind of one permanently uh, nulled out slot, but these will clear off once you go back to town. So this is kind of a sign uh, that you might want to start to think about heading back to town once you start to accumulate these throughout the party. Uh, the other thing you can do is you can get stunned. Let's say a monster has an effect that stuns you. That's just kind of a temporary wound. Uh, if you get wound after you get stunned, the stun will just become a wound. But if that doesn't happen and then the end of the round happens, the stun will go away. And I should say, these go away at the end of your turn. So you might actually have them for your next round. Uh, but they will go away at the end of your turn. Now the other thing to note here are these different weapon actions. So you can see this is the Castellan's Halberd. It requires a 1 plus and his Warding Lantern requires a 6 plus. So again, I can basically activate this for an attack with any die, but I need a 6 to activate this area effect here. Uh, and the combat is very interesting. So you're going to remove the die that you used, then you go ahead and roll it. Now I need to roll a 4 plus to hit and it'll do 2 damage. So I'm going to roll that so I got a hit and then I'll do two damage. Now there's a couple of different uh, sort of ranges here. You can see combat, area, and then missile. Now combat, you just have to be in an adjacent space, so either diagonally or whatever. Uh, area is all in the same tile as this fella, and then missile is uh, within the same tile, but there's a little bit more to it than that. But that's pretty much what you do. You just activate your four different actions based on the dice here, or maybe some of the destiny dice. You do your basic stuff, do your different attacks. Uh, you can um, also use different special abilities here, which I'm not going to get too into detail with. Uh, once all the players have taken their turn, and then the DM will activate the different adversaries that are on the board. And what they're going to do is they're going to take a look at the sheet here for the different characters. So here we've got the one for the main guy, the Chaos Sorcerer Lord. Uh, it shows you a few different things. Let's just zoom in on that. Uh, so you've got his move of three. He's got nine hit points, nine vigor. He's got an agility of one. 
and then he's got different uh, sort of special abilities, and these are going to tie into the different uh, weapon actions usually. But you've also got these behavior tables down here. So the DM kind of has a choice. They can say, okay, I'm going to move and attack. So I can move the guy or move the group of guys and then go in and attack. Or I can kind of be a little bit risky here and then roll on this behavior table. And this might do something that's a little bit better than you normally would be able to do. You might get a bonus to your different attacks. Uh, you know, you might get extra dice that you roll or something like that. Uh, but it also might not do something that you particularly wanted. So you can take a little bit of a risk there uh, with uh, these different things. And some of the different characters uh, will have uh, sort of a special units that will kind of make you and kind of tempt you to come down here and, and use the behavior table. The character acolytes are one of those. And it does kind of matter which, uh, how you kind of outfit these characters. Now it doesn't give you too many options when you build. Like when you build through, you're, you're going to get a good variety of different things. Although the blood reavers, you can kind of go, you know, heavy dual wield and stuff like that. But let's use a good example here. Let's look at some of the Carrick Acolytes in here. So we've got this guy here, who's the Volcaric, who has the bird. This is the guy I was talking about who helps you with the behavior rolls. And then you've got also the guy here with the scroll. This fella here, you can see he's got a, a special scroll though. So he's gonna do uh, two extra dice, or excuse me, two dice when he does his bolt. Because these guys have a melee attack that they can do, but they can all cast a kind of a sorcerer's bolt. So he's gonna give you a little bonus there. And then you've got some of these guys with a shield, and this is gonna give them basically one extra hit point. Now as you're putting these out, you have to kind of stagger them so you don't just load up like a bunch of guys with shields, or a bunch of the uh, guys that give you a bonus on their sorcerer's bolt. So you've gotta sort of stagger them and do the different types of models that you have so there's a good mix but once you get one of each out then you can kind of restart and then go along that way now there's a couple of things that the dm also has to keep in mind now first thing is if you've been wiped out and the players are kind of exploring and there'll be periods of time where there's no monsters on the board it's not like a constant <laughs> slugfest although it can turn into one from time to time um, if, if they're just wiped out and they've just been searching, kind of exploring, you do get to make an ambush roll uh, at the start of the turn, uh, if, if, if start of your turn, if, uh, if there's nothing, nobody on the board, so they make it ambushed. In that case, you're going to bring guys off uh, from an empty chamber, uh, and, they're gonna, and then you have like different tables that you're going to roll on to, uh, to see what kind of bad guys. It's kind of you know, thematic to what kind of level of the dungeon they're in. And then, like I said, there's the unexpected event thing that might give you some choices to do based on what you roll, then you get some choices. You can also, let's just do an example like this. We'll have a doorway here. Um, because when you do explore these, you will put the doorways out. Um, sometimes there'll be hidden doorways and they have to search to actually find the hidden doorway. Um, but you'll put these out. And let's say we were fighting here and we had this sorcerer guy here and a couple of these guys were fighting up here. And then I could have this guy basically call for reinforcements if he's adjacent to that portal. So this is something the players and the DM need to keep in mind uh, if I do that then I can say, okay, he's going to call for reinforcements, and then I'll open whatever the, you know, the tile that was supposed to be there is there, and then maybe pull in some other guys, you know, maybe these Blight Kings come in or something like that, based on, you know, whatever the story's kind of telling you there. So it gives you a little bit of options there in terms of maneuvering, uh, but that's kind of the basics of how the game and the mechanics are going to work. Okay, so that's a sort of quick rundown of Warhammer Quest Shadows over Hammer Hall. So let's first jump into kind of the elephant in the room. Now the first game was co-op. 
and excellent co-op and I really enjoyed it and it threw lots of random stuff at you and it was vastly replayable especially as you added uh, different heroes and stuff you could do really thematic uh, sort of explorations of uh, folks that got sucked into this tower by Zinch and he wanted to torture them whether they be chaos or order or whatever uh, and it was really a good time. Now this is not a co-op <laughs> at all and I don't think that you could play this as a co-op because uh, the advancement and the progression and all that stuff is really tied to kind of the story and the narrative of what's happening uh, as the players explore. And like I showed you, there's different traps and things that can happen. Uh, certain rooms will be like revealed. So, you know, as you explore and you see the doorways, okay, I'm going to go here and here. But there might be other things that will trigger like I'm trying not to spoil, but like uh, maybe a, uh, a pit collapses and then it reveals some more monsters or something. I totally made that up. But, <laughs> uh, but there's certain things that will happen that will change the rooms and the room layouts are pretty important. Sometimes you'll combine multiple tiles and it'll be like one giant huge chamber with lots of guys in there. Um, and it might just be like little tiny corridors and stuff. Uh, so that is, that's all super tied to what the DM is going to be uh, driving and sort of narrating for the folks. And there's lots of flavor text and things. Um, and there's also very kind of intricate uh, puzzles and things that the DM is going to have to kind of guide the players through. I don't want to sound like it's, it's really complicated, but it's, it's just certain things that like if you knew about it, you could just solve them because you'd read it and be like, okay, I would know what the answer is. I know how to do this thing. Uh, so you can't really do that and, you know, uh, make it a co-op. Uh, so it's very interesting though because you can pull in some of the exotic adversaries and stuff from the other things and throw them in here. There's rules for that. Uh, there's rules as well uh, for uh, messing with the difficulty level and I think there's a there's a good balance that can be had there uh, between you know how much extra stuff do you have because you can really and I've kind of made this mistake and really thrown it at uh, some of my friends and I was just like playing you know balls to the wall and just basically wrecked them and I was like okay and we were playing on like the basic difficulty too but because I had access to the stuff I was like oh cool so yeah six zangers show up <laughs> and they have you know all these extra hit points and stuff and now you're sort of sandwiched between these other um, characters uh, so it really is a little bit on the DM to sort of try to guide that experience and really you know mess with the difficulty themselves. Uh, so you can change that difficulty, you know, like in between quests, you could kind of bump it up a little bit. Uh, and it just, it, it basically changes a little bit of your ambush rolls and it gives everybody an extra hit point and stuff like that. You could take those rules right back into Silver Tower too, um, because it's got rules for ambushes um, and stuff like that. So this is really a DM guided type of experience. But I think for that, it's really, really interesting and fun. And like I said, kind of during the walkthrough, the main thing that really um, has sold me on the game is that just the giant epicness of this massive eight level dungeon. It's not like you go through different scenarios and do these different things. And that's one thing. I mean, we played through Imperial Assault and I love Imperial Assault, but all of them are just like a race to get to like this spot before turn five. And then that's like all the scenarios and Descent is like that too. Get here before the, you know, Overlord gets all these extra powers and just starts hammering the crap out of you. Uh, this is not like that. This is a little, lot different in terms of how it paces out. You're gonna have a lot of time where there's not much going on in terms of combat, but there's, you know, the players are exploring, they're, they're researching. You're gonna tell them like, oh, you hear like 
scratching on the wall or something over here and so they're going, okay what's over there or you can see footprints or there's a dead body and stuff like that so you can kind of narrate that through uh you know through that so it's a very different kind of dungeon crawl experience and what's going to happen is as you kind of go down these levels you'll find these other exits and so as the players get kind of beat up, and they will, uh, they have to kind of make the decision, okay, if we do a total party wipe, then we're going to lose, um, you're going to lose the renown, you'll lose the treasures, you won't lose any skills. Uh, and I think that's, I think you lose your gold too, I have to double check that, but uh, you lose that stuff. And then, you know, you've got to kind of start over, but you didn't really get to keep all the cool stuff that you had. So you've got to kind of make a decision to maybe make a run for it, uh, and you could likely be making a run for it, and then get, getting back, finding an exit, getting out, and then you can kind of come down like a little bit further down the dungeon. But it doesn't go like progressive, like a straight linear thing. It, it will branch and arc and stuff like that. And there's certain things that will happen in the dungeon that, um, you know, in, impact the town and vice versa, which is really cool as you go through the adventure. Uh, so that this the, the the creation of that world and that kind of thematic space is awesome. It's really cool. Um, I won't I'm not I won't lie to you. I wish it was kind of a co-op too because I think they could do something like this, and you could do it similar to how they did it with Silver Tower with the forking you know cards, the explore cards and stuff like that. You could do that, um, but I think this is, the experience that they've set up here really does work uh, in that way. The other thing that is is a little bit interesting is the DM like sometimes doesn't have a lot of choices to do because you know it'll be like okay open this thing you know they're going to search they don't find anything or whatever and then it'll be like uh uh you know okay now put out these four guys and then you just kind of control them and there'll be periods of time when you don't really have much to do but then there'll be other times when you've got a lot to do and so there's a lot of decisions and the decisions that you make again kind of dovetailing back to kind of controlling the uh difficulty you'll be big because you're like okay i could really you know knuckle down and and really ruin these people's day but how much do i want to do that so that is interesting so you're much more of a facilitator uh in that sense so if, if you're like that then you can do that uh you know you can play the dm and i think it's going to work out um but yeah, the the basic mechanics are really cool. I like the dice mechanics in terms of you know the players. Uh, there's nice kind of very streamlined uh, decisions to make. You know, do I use the destiny dice to let you do that? You know, how do we move around and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I do think this system though, it, it's kind of interesting because they've kind of split us uh, a little bit. You know, there's a lot of people that really like the co-op, and I'm one of them. And then there's going to be I think a lot of people as well that don't really go for the co-op, but that wanted the kind of more role-playing type of experience, and they're going to really like this a lot more. So it's kind of like two sort of systems or two pathways that the the game could go. And I assume they want to come out with more stuff for it. Um, I think they could come out with um, more of kind of a more generalized system. I know I've seen a lot of folks online that are really fans of the game like myself, and it would be cool to have like a nice uh, bestiary here like this so you could use um, lots of models and they just give you stats for lots of different things and a little bit of a, a like some tools for setting up your own adventures and your own traps and all that kind of stuff. That would be really cool. So almost like a little role-playing companion book to go with all of this stuff and create your own adventures because I think um, the adventure that's in here is really cool. Um, players will be able to I think adapt it for a second playthrough. So as you level up um, and go through the, the game and let's say you beat it once, would you play it again? I mean, 
not necessarily as it's written in here, but you could certainly uh, make tweaks to it. The traps aren't so intricate that you couldn't say, okay, well, you know, I'm gonna do this trap a little bit differently. Maybe I'll put it in this room or it won't happen in the same spot. You can do a lot of that without breaking the game. You can just say, okay, remember that trap where we had to sort of organize these things in a certain way? Well, I did it a little bit differently. And if you're, you know, you're a good-hearted GM, you're not gonna be like, change it mid-puzzle, right? You're gonna say, okay, I'll write it down. So the trap, the puzzle's gonna work this way and you have to kind of figure out the pattern. Uh, so you could easily adjust that and then you can also just kind of easily adjust you know the order that the rooms come out so the rooms will come out in the same general level maybe um, so what i'm getting at is that it's very easy i think to kind of make this a little bit more plug and play modularized and then still kind of replay the basic same adventure uh, and then you know you could create new adventures so that's kind of what is really intrigued me about it is the potential of what this could be you know as a, just kind of a one sort of adventure, you know, through kind of the eight different levels of the dungeon. I think it's gonna work fine. But then most people I think aren't gonna really wanna just play that again. It's not replayable. Like Silver Tower, you can play that a bunch of times, and especially as you throw new characters at it. Uh, so I think for this case, I would be very curious to see if they're gonna come out with something like a, a look, another book or something, or if they can make like a third box game, which is completely different than the other two. Um, I don't know. I was pretty kind of trepidatious going into this one because I'm like, oh no, like what? I wanted more Silver Tower stuff because that was so fun. And uh, this is not like that, but it kind of is, it kind of isn't. You can kind of use the monsters from both, you know, in both in the different heroes. So yeah, I think this is going to not maybe displease Silver Tower folks and please a lot of other folks that didn't like Silver Tower probably. And, you know, so it's kind of kind of this weird, you know, middle ground that they're kind of in with the both of the games but you know it's kind of nice if you wanted a cool co-op uh, then you can do the silver tower if you wanted more of a one versus many you could do this i would say again you could take some of the difficulty changes and uh the changes to how the destiny and the unexpected events and that kind of stuff works uh and move that into silver tower i think you could certainly do that um i wrote it down the other day but uh Basically, the way that the, the Destiny dice trigger the unexpected events, I think that's a little bit more streamlined. The way the searching actually works is it's more of an action that you can do. You don't have to wait for the respite phase uh, like in Silver Tower. That's kind of, and I like that. That's actually, I like that better than how it works in Silver Tower. It's a little bit more clear and you don't get these muddy timing issues sometimes. Um, and then the ambushes and stuff in Silver Tower, you could just do, um, when you adjust, if you wanted to adjust the difficulty of Silver Tower, you know, you're playing with like four really good heroes heroes, um, then you could easily take the difficulty rules from this and pull it back into Silver Tower. Uh, but just add two to your ambush rolls instead of one. If you have the rule books, you know what I mean. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think it's it's a good ad adjustment, although I'm like, I think a lot of people are like confused, like, oh wait, I thought we were doing co-ops. <laughs> but here you go. Uh, so Take a look at it. I think it's a lot of fun. I think the it's going to be worth playing through that story. And it's just really, really a nice breath of fresh air. And I think I said the same exact words about Silver Tower. That was a breath of fresh air in terms of how a co-op dungeon crawl can work uh, with the whole Tales of the Arabian Nights kind of vibe with the storybook. And again, with the theme here, I think that this is a nice breath of fresh air in terms of these one versus many games. There's not another one versus many game like this. Um, that I've played uh, that is, you know, is so kind of 
anchored into that thematic aspect of it. And if you're an Age of Sigmar person, um, there's a lot of interesting tidbits about like who this fella is here, the Sorcerer Lord. You know, does he belong to, to Solnesh? Um, you know, which is one of the dead Chaos Lords or dead, I don't know, whatever. But, uh, and I like the kind of the backstory here for Hammerhall and as the Stormcasts are kind of sort of repopulating and colonizing, you know, all these blighted chaotic lands uh, in the city that's kind of, you know, it's pretty settled. There's some civilization there, uh, but you know, you've got these kind of creepy dudes uh, messing with things in the underworld and all that stuff. So it's a nice, good setting uh, in that way. And I think if you're into Age of Sigmar, which I probably should have mentioned earlier because you probably turned the video off now. <laughs> but if you're into Age of Sigmar, then I would say this is a, like a no-brainer because I think this is, and if you're into like the theme and the narrative of Age of Sigmar, this is the Warhammer quest that I think that you want. Yeah, over Silver Tower even because it just it's just cool all the way this kind of fits into where the that longer campaign has been going over the last two years and some of the, you know, the stories and everything like that. So definitely take a look at this one. Thanks.